Are you guys ready? I mean, seriously, are you ready? Because what I'm about to talk about, you got to be ready. That's the point. What Paul is talking about in our next section of Scripture in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, all the way to chapter 5, verse 11, he's trying to alert the people of Thessalonica, the followers of Christ, to get ready. Something is about to happen that's really exciting, and we need to be ready for it. Are you ready? I am. I've been ready since high school. Seriously. I have been ready since high school. I remember back in the 70s as a Christian. I came to Christ early in my life on a beach in San Onofre. My folks were surfers, and every weekend we'd pack up the station wagon, we'd go to San Onofre, and we'd surf and hang out and play bocce ball, and, and, the, and the parents would play uh, volleyball, and we'd just hang out on the beach with all the kids, go up to the bluff and sleep at night in sleeping bags, come back down and spend the day on the beach. Every weekend, San Onofre. One weekend, one of the surfers, I think it was Bob Hart, had a brother, Bill Hart, who was a pastor in Orange County. And he preached the gospel to the kids. All the kids gathered one Sunday morning and told us about Jesus and that Jesus was coming back. And if you were ready, you would get to go with him. And I signed up. I, on that beach, I signed up. It was done. As a young kid, I made a decision to follow Christ. And I remember entering into high school with the anticipation that Christ was coming back. We'd go down to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa in the 70s. I mean, this is the Jesus movement in full stride, right? So coming out of the 60s, a little wild, a little crazy, 70s, a little bit more mature, we were all about going to Calvary, listening to these great bands, Cal, you know, second chapter of Acts, you know, Jimmy Kempner would preach the gospel on Saturday night and then Mustard Seed Faith and Benny Hester. Keith Green was my favorite. Last night, I was at a, a, a 60s birthday party for one of my dear friends, Carl Moeller, and he has a friend that was there. It was up in Lake Arrowhead, and so I sat down, Denise and I sat down and had dinner and sat next to a guy. His name is Steve Grison. Steve Grison is married to Nellie Grison, who was a member of Second Chapter of Acts, one of those Jesus bands in the 70s. He, Steve, was the manager of Keith Green, one of the best all-time worship leaders, powerful band. He was a prophet in his day. I remember being at Disneyland, and Steve goes, oh, I put the whole Christian Disneyland thing together in 1976. When all these Christians filled Disneyland and all these bands were at the different venues. Imagine Disneyland. Everybody's there because they're wanting to hear this great worship and these great songs and this great music with the anticipation of one thing. Jesus is coming back. Maranatha. Jesus come quickly. That was the rally cry of the 70s. Maranatha. And I remember going to Maranatha Village. They had a Maranatha Village at Calvary Chapel to buy a bunch of stuff, Jesus paraphernalia, stickers, and I bought a ring and, and all sorts of stuff, and my Bible, and we were all getting ready because Maranatha, Jesus come quickly. He's coming. He's coming back. Paul, and it was a really exciting time, so I sat there and, and went down memory lane with Steve Grison, who was the, he was the manager of Keith Green. I remember Keith Green at Disneyland preaching the gospel to young people, high schoolers. I was in high school, telling me to get my life together, stay strong for Christ because Jesus is coming back. Give your heart to Christ. I came to Christ so many times I can't even count them. It just happened over and over again. It was so exciting. I knew it was coming. Jesus is coming back. And I live with that anticipation. And it was exciting days. Now, 30 plus years later, I still live with the same expectation. And so did Paul 2,000 years ago. When Jesus ascended, the, what was on the forefront of the disciples' mind in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus even got to heaven, 
was, Lord, is it this time that you're coming back to restore the kingdom? And Jesus says, no, 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 it's, you don't, it's not yours to worry about the time and the place. Just be filled with the Spirit and go out and be my witnesses. And that was the sense that they had in the first century that really carried me through high school. In fact, it says over and over again that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. It was exciting times. And so it was even in the early years of the disciples. Matthew 24, 3. Tell us, they say, tell us about the signs of your coming, of your return. And so even in Matthew 24, Jesus begins telling them why. Because of one thing. Be ready. You got to be ready. You have to be ready. The one thing I want you to hear this morning is that readiness is a sign of maturity. Let's look at the passage. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, literally, in the dark. Don't be in the dark about this. Don't be uninformed. Don't be misinformed. Don't be uninformed. Don't be sleeping. Be awake. Be alert. Something is going to happen, and it can happen at any moment. It can happen right now. We thought it was going to happen 30 years ago. I remember I was talking to a friend just the last couple days, and they said, oh, they went to back and told their mom, Jesus is coming back. I'm so sad. I'm never going to be, have a chance to get married and have a family. I mean, that was the sense. He's coming right now. I mean, that anticipation has been in place for 2,000 years. And we don't know when he's coming back. But what Paul is about to say is don't be uninformed because of the why. Not the when, because we don't know. Matthew 13, 34, Jesus says, the Son of Man doesn't know. It's up to the Father. The Son of Man doesn't even know the time of its return. Now, what he was really saying there, by the way, is not that Jesus doesn't know his return or when he's coming back. He knows he was referring to a typical Jewish wedding. When the, when the groom would go get the bride was up to when the father decided the, wed, the ceremony would begin. So it was the father's choice. The father was in control telling the son, go get your bride, the wedding ceremony is going to begin. That's the idea here, that, the, that the, the groom was waiting for the father to say, go get the bride. And that's exactly what Jesus was saying. When the father says, come get you, I'm coming to get you. The question is, why is he coming back? This morning, I want to give you three reasons why Jesus is coming back. And they're important to you because the reasons will impact your life now. Readiness is a sign of maturity. Readiness is a sign of... Don't get caught up in the malaise of this sickly generation that needs healing. Don't get caught up in it because... You are to be ready, and here's why you are to be ready. Paul says, don't be informed about those who are asleep. That is, don't be like those who grieve, who have no hope. That is, asleep, those that died in Christ. Paul is talking to a group of Christians in 49 AD, and some of them are starting to pass away. They're dying. Old age, whatever. They're dying. Death is a reality. And they're thinking to themselves, if I die before Jesus returns, will I miss out? Will I miss out on all the excitement of the future? No, you won't. You won't miss out. That's what Paul's saying. Jesus is coming back for both those that have died in Christ and those that are still alive. Whenever he comes, he's coming for all of us. Don't worry. So he says, don't be like those who grieve who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring him with those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. God's going to bring us all to him. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, so that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of the archangel, with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. There will be a shout, something exciting, a noise, a, a powerful movement and the earth will hear it and Christ will come back, the dead will rise first and then we who are alive, whoever remains in that moment 
who is on the earth will then be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever, it says. Encourage one another with these words. And then he moves into chapter 5 to talk about the day of the Lord, the time, the time frame in which Jesus will come back will be called the day of the Lord. And he says, don't be... Don't be like those who live in darkness. Be alive. Be awake. Be sons of light. Be alert. Be sober. Put on the breastplate of faith and love and the hope of salvation. Just be alert. Be ready. So this whole passage is about Jesus' return and how it shapes the way we live our life now because of the three whys because of the three reasons why Jesus comes back. I want you to be able to leave this morning, and if somebody asks you the question, why is Jesus coming back? I mean, he came once, he died for our sins, he ascended to be with the Father, he says, I'm coming back. Why is he coming back? Well, there's three reasons. And Paul lists all three reasons. First of all, we will be people that are able to grieve with hope. Grieving with hope. Because death is a reality. we got to look at that. The reason why Jesus is coming back is so you, in this moment, can grieve the loss of, of a loved one with hope. The second reason that I want to look at is that you will be with him forever. We get to live forever. The reason why he comes back is because of the forever. Why is Jesus coming back? Well, when we grieve, we grieve with hope. Second of all, because when Christ comes back, we get to live forever. And third, it says, we were not made for wrath, but for the obtaining of salvation. It says in chapter 5, verse 9, salvation. You see that? We are made for salvation, the culmination of all things. Jesus has to come back to culminate all things into salvation. There's the reason. Our grief is not without hope. It's with hope. We get to live forever. What does that mean? And we also get to obtain the fullness of salvation. That's why Jesus is coming back. So what are those three things? And how do those shape your reality now? That's what I want to look at this morning. So here we go. First one is we will be those who grieve, who have hope. Now, notice Paul says, don't be like those that grieve that have no hope. There's two kinds of people in the world today. Those that grieve who have no hope and those that grieve that have hope. And if you grieve and you have no hope, essentially what you're saying is that death is the end of all things. That when we die and death is in the forecast for everybody, that's the reality. Paul puts this whole context in this context that some have already fallen asleep. Death is a reality. It is a reality. may not be today, but it will be one day. That is the reality. And we live with that. Yet we don't have no hope. We have hope. There's those that have no hope, those that have hope. So what does it look like? Well, for those that have no hope, there was a letter that was written in the first century, Irene wrote to two friends, Tanaphorus and Philo. And we've, we, we now have this first century letter. And she's writing to her two friends that just lost someone in their life. And she says to them, be of good comfort, she says. I weep and I'm sorry for you. And then she goes on to talk about others that have passed away. And then at the end of this paragraph of this letter, she says, but nevertheless... Against such things, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. Death is the end. See, if you grieve with no hope, you are living in a world where Jesus will never come back. He's not coming back. You're on your own. Go ahead and live the life you want to live as best as you can, and at the end of it, it's over. And for a Christian, that's not true because Jesus is coming back. And because he's coming back, when you grieve the loss of a loved one or a friend, or even in the context of your own life, 
that death is a reality, guess what? You grieve with hope. There's a hope because why? Death is a reality, but it's not the end. It does not have the final word. Look at verse 14. It says clearly in this passage, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will then bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is coming again and he will bring us with him. We hang on to that so we have hope. He's coming, verse 5. It says that he's coming. And the word in verse 15 says when he's coming, that's the parousia. We call it the parousia. In Greek, literally means the second come, the coming of Christ. He's already come once. Why is he coming again? He's coming again so that in the context of death, when we grieve, we don't grieve without hope. That's what he's saying. It's, it's almost like this. I have a lifeline that I'm holding on to, and that is the return of Christ. He's coming back, and when he comes back in the clouds, someday, some moment, the dead will rise, and those that are alive will all meet him in the clouds, and there was a, there's a safety line. I remember when Brooke and Brittany, our two daughters, were younger in high school. They were allowed to go out to certain events, and we would keep close tabs on those parties and events, of course, because the objective was not to be our kids' best friend, but to be their guardians, to keep them safe and to keep them on the straight and the narrow and to help them grow up to love Christ and make good decisions in their life. But we also knew that sometimes we couldn't control where they were going or what was going to happen. And so there was a lifeline. Call us. We'll come get you. No questions asked. We will deliver. We'll come get you. That's what Jesus is saying. You may get into trouble. Something may happen that goes wrong. But you don't live without hope because you have a lifeline because Jesus is coming back. And we pin this hope on that safety line, that lifeline, an historical event, not some concept, but the fact that the bodily resurrected Christ will come again and he's going to come in the clouds and he's going to be there and the trumpets will sound and there will be a moment in time in history it will be a physical event. It will literally happen. The world will stop. This last year, we thought the world stopped, didn't we? I mean, at the moment of the pandemic, at the, 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 at the highlight of the pandemic, I remember the words being said, literally, the entire world, go home, stop working, and let's get over this thing. I mean, was that strange to you to hear? The entire world is shutting down. At least it tried to. The entire world, let's shut the whole world down in this moment. And, it, and, and of course, here we are. And we thought, oh, the end times are coming. It must be. Jesus is about ready to get, come back. And he didn't. But he could at any moment. But in that moment, he will, everything will stop. The whole world will stop. They will hear the trumpet. And Christ will be there in the air. And we will be raised up with him. And we pen our hope in that in Christ you won't miss this whether you are alive or dead in Christ and Paul is helping us to rub hope into our grief like salt into meat and what's our hope that death cannot hold us down that's our encouragement death can't hold you down it is not strong enough oh death where is your sting where's your victory in Christ, the resurrection, he defeats death. Dr. Barnhouse, a great preacher, writer, theologian, lost his wife, and on, his, on the way home from the funeral, he had his children in the car, and they were in the station wagon, and they passed a truck, and the truck passed them, and then the shadow passed, and they drove by the truck and then through the shadow, and it reminded him something, and he turned to his kids and said, kids, would you rather be hit by the truck or the shadow of the truck? And the kids, of course, said, the shadow of the truck. And he says, exactly. And you know why? Because Christ was hit by the truck, so you could be hit by the shadow. You and I are not hit by the impact of death as Christ was. You were hit by the shadow of death. Yes, you will die, but it will not take you down 
and keep you down. It's merely a shadow because Christ has overcome death. And that is encouraging. That's why we're getting ready. We're ready even in the context of our grief. What a beautiful name Hillsong sings. Death cannot hold us. The veil torn before you. Your silence, the boast of sin and grave. And then something else I can't read because I can't read my writing. Something's roaring. In the praise of your glory. I do this all the time to myself. Here's the question. How is this kind of hope reflected in your life today? I mean, if you really have that kind of hope. If you're living this morning with that kind of hope that death cannot stop what Christ is going to complete in, in your life. He's coming. He's coming back. He's coming back for you. You. How is that being reflected now? How is it impacting the way you live your life today? I think it should. I really do. We grieve as those that have hope. See, we continue to grieve. We suffer. We go through hardship. But we have a hope. The second thing is we get to live forever. That's why Jesus is coming back. And whenever you see this word forever, this idea, he will bring those who have fallen asleep and then those that are alive will be snatched up. People refer to that as the rapture. We don't know when. I can't tell you when. I, I, my guess, my best guess, is it will be one Sunday at 10.30. So you better be here rather than your pajamas eating your grape nuts. Because at 10.30 when Jesus comes back, we're getting bodily, literally bodily snatched up into the heavens. And some of you are going to be in your pajamas, which will be a sorry sight for the rest of us who are in our right minds clothed with our Bibles in hand. And we're going to be looking at you, the rest of you losers, going, well, I'm at least glad you made it. Where were you? 10.30. We knew it was going to be 10.30. We didn't know which 10.30, because Matthew 13, 34, even the Son of Man doesn't know which 10.30, but at least it's going to be 10.30. That's my guess. I can't claim to know that based on Scripture, just the fact that I want you here at 10.30. But otherwise, good luck with that. But here's the deal. The second idea of living forever. What does that mean, to live forever? Here's what it means. To live forever means to live forever in bodily form. And whenever the, the Bible talks about living forever, it's talking about you in a bodily form, a resurrected bodily form, living forever. And when it talks about that, it's talking about getting ready, getting the body and the soul ready forever. For, does that make sense? You're getting ready now for the forever. That's the way the Bible describes it. Let me, let me show you first 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, one of my all-time favorite passages. So it begins... But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with him. So the same God that raised Jesus will raise you with him and with everyone else. That's what he's saying. Okay, do you get the idea? So Paul's talking about the second coming here, the parousia, the same thing that he's talking about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For all these things for your sake, so the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound in the glory of God. Therefore, do not lose hope. Do not lose heart. But through the out, though the outer man is decaying, the inner man is being renewed day by day. Do you see that? For momentary, light affliction is producing what? Something forever. Here's the idea. 
What Paul is saying is that he, Jesus is producing within us something forever. And when Christ comes back, it's forever, which means the parousia is about bringing your forever into forever. And your forever is this. Here it is. Momentary light affliction is producing for you an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. Something weighty. In other words, eternity is weightiness. And some of us need to put on a little bit more eternal weight. Now, getting ready forever. Does that make sense? Some of us are putting the wrong kind of weight on. And the kind of weight that we need to be putting on is the forever kind of weight. The momentary light affliction is producing in us an eternal weight of glory, preparing us when he comes back to live forever. How do I illustrate this? Well, in C.S. Lewis's book, you ever read C.S. Lewis' Great Divorce? It's the, it's, the, it's the story of two kinds of people. And after death, people go to heaven, some people go to hell. People that don't want anything to do with God go to hell, and those that have made a decision in this life that they want something, they want to be part of God's plan, go to heaven. Lewis describes this bus ride from hell to heaven. And so they get on the bus and they go up to heaven. And they experience heaven, and one by one they get back on the bus. They're not made for heaven. They're not, it's not what they want. They're not comfortable there. In fact, in Lewis's book, it says, The blades of grass, hard as diamonds to my unsubstantiated feet. In other words, they're, they're in heaven, but they don't want to be there. And it hurts because their bodies aren't weighty enough. Does that make sense? They're not weighty enough. They're ghostly, transparent, and even the blades of grass hurt. They can't drink the water. They can't eat the fruit of heaven. We're going to be drinking the water of heaven. We're going to be eating the fruit of heaven. We're going to be walking in the grass of this heaven, which is really the eternal kingdom, the heaven and the earth. When I refer to heaven, I don't refer to a cloud. I refer to it as a final resting of heaven and earth, Revelation 22 21 and 22, of the recreation of all that God has for us in our resurrected bodies. We'll be walking this world, this grass and drinking the water and the fruit, and we will have a weightiness that we'll be comfortable in it. And we have it backwards. We think people of earth are the weightiness, those that have weightiness. In fact, they're not. They're the ghostly, transparent. They're not ready. They don't have the substance. They live in the shadow, the land of the shadow. So prepare now. Begin preparing your body. My stepfather-in-law, Denise's stepdad, Denise's mom remarried after Denise's dad passed away and married this beautiful, wonderful Christian man, Ed Thurber. And he just had a near-death experience. His life was saved. And he ended up in ICU, recovering, and they intubated him. And uh, slowly his body was coming back. And I was there one, one night, it was just a couple nights ago, and I was really struggling watching him because he was ready to like get going. And he was awake and aware, and, and yet the night shift at the hospital could not extubate him. They needed to wait for the morning. I knew it was gonna be a long morning. And my thought was, Lord, I left the hospital really hurt and upset and struggling, going, Lord, why? I just want to relieve him of his pain in this moment. I see him struggling. I don't want him to go through this whole night. Lord, how could we do this? I want him to get breathing on his own and, and, and sit up. And, and Lord, what are you doing? And then I thought about this passage. I know what you're doing, Lord. You're making him lighter on earth so he is heavier for his eternal kingdom. And that's what God is doing in suffering. He's making us heavier. So we're ready. Why is Jesus coming back? So that the forever of your heaviness will live on in his presence in the new heaven and the new earth. That's, he's coming back for that.
He's coming back for you. How are you preparing in your suffering? I also thought of a second way to prepare, and that is suffering, but also service. Jim Elliott, the story of Jim Elliott in the 1950s. Wheaton College grad, had his whole life ahead of him. Married Elizabeth Elliott, children, moved to Ecuador to the Harani people and wanted to minister to them and reach them for Christ. And they were savages. They didn't know Christ. No one had ever preached the gospel to them. And they began dropping gifts. And finally the day arrived. And he and a few other men went to deliver the gospel to them. And they thought that they were enemies, mistook mistook them for enemies, and speared them to death. And Jim Elliott's body in 1956 was found in a river, left his young wife and children behind. And we look at that and we just go, something is wrong with that. And yet, nothing's wrong with that. It was Jim Elliott who said many years prior to that, he is no fool to lose what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot afford to lose. Profound. You can't keep this life. Why are we holding on to it? You can't afford to lose the the latter life, the eternal life, the forever life. So it's time to begin to develop some weightiness to your life. How are you going to develop the weightiness of your life? What is it? Think about that. What are the things, maybe in your suffering, maybe in your service, that God is making you stronger and weightier for heaven, the eternal way to glory? The second and last thing I just want to point out here in this passage in 1 Thessalonians moves to chapter 5 when he says, now the times and the epochs, brethren, you don't need anyone to write you about this because we know full well that when the day of the Lord will come, he'll come just like a thief in the night. Now what do you do if you know a thief is coming in the middle of the night? You prepare. You know a thief is coming. A thief is coming to your house tonight. You're not going to act like you don't know. You're not going to leave the back door open. You may not even be there. You may have called the police. What are you going to You're going to do something different to prepare yourself. That's the point. People that live in darkness, it says, are not prepared. They're just handling life like, hey, everything's fine. Peace and safety. And there's no peace and safety because a thief is coming in the middle of the night and they're going to be taken off guard. See, it's in the negative. But for those that live in the light, it's not a negative, it's a positive. He's coming, he's coming quickly. We don't know when, but when he comes, guess what? He doesn't come for wrath for you. He comes so that you may obtain, it says, salvation. You're getting salvation. Well, don't I already have salvation? Yes, You have salvation in Christ the moment you put your life and trust in him and his sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for your sins. The minute you do that, you have salvation. But guess what? Paul's talking about the reason why Jesus is coming back is so that your salvation is now fully culminated into the full presence of Christ. Salvation is not a concept, it's an experience. Salvation is your experience with Christ, living moment by moment in the presence of Christ and gets culminated when Christ comes back. The parousia has got to happen. The second coming's got to happen. Why? Because in that moment, you come into the salvation, the full culmination of your present relationship with Christ. You're now in his presence forever. You're the bride of Christ. You join him forever. Do you see that? It all happens in this moment, not for wrath, but God is most certainly going to purify, it says, the earth. There's wrath coming. And in Revelation chapter 6, all the way to verse 9, chapter 19, we have these seals and bowls and trumpets. And it's seals, trumpets, bowls. And these, these seals are opened. Then these, these, uh, the trumpets will sound. And then these bowls of wrath, of God's wrath, Pouring out. Why? Because the earth is messed up. Man, what Dennis and Susan Wadley just experienced in Ethiopia, we we sent them to Ethiopia. We prayed for them to be in Ethiopia. There is a genocide going on there. Soldiers are raping children. It's horrible. I mean, when you think about this and you read these accounts of murders and the 
horrible atrocities of genocide throughout the world. Sometimes I wonder, and I just look, and I just go, how is that possible that someone can be so far off in this world, and yet that's the reality, and God's going to come back and wipe that all out. He's going to clean it all up. He's going to remove all that. He's going to clean up the mess of the world. Even our own messes, even our sin and mistakes, and then he'll bring salvation. And we get to join in this salvation. And it says, therefore, be alert, be sober, and put on the armor. Your soldier literally means be clothed in the armor. It's a process of purification. Rid yourselves of the sin of the world. That's how we experience salvation. That's what Paul's saying. To experience the obtaining of all of what God wants to do is when, we, when he comes back for us, he will purify us as we arrive into Christ's presence. And the purification is the process that you and I get to start right now. We get to begin that process. Allow Christ to continue the work of salvation in your life how? Christ died for you. He will come back for you. And in the process of that, he will begin this process in this life of weaning you from the world and purify you and prepare you. I remember those moments in high school. I remember those. Those were holy moments. Those were moments where I felt like I wanted to live a pure and life before the Lord, knowing he's coming back. I wanted to be ready, and I wanted to be purified in, con in the context of this world and be ready for him. So readiness, why? Why are we ready? You know the answer. We got it. It's right here. You have a hope in grief because your forever is the weightiness of your life that goes on into eternity. And salvation is about the purification of your life, your soul. Begin today by being ready. Let's pray. So, Father, we are followers of Christ this morning that are now living with the great, great anticipation of your return. Jesus, you could come back right now. We don't know whether that's true or not. Could be tomorrow, could be 10 years from now, could be a long time. But we want to be people that live with the great readiness, the anticipation that you are coming back and that our lives reflect the fact that you're coming back, living with a great anticipation now. So, Father, we pray this morning in our grief, in our preparedness, in our purification, we are beginning to look more and more like your son, Jesus, who is coming back for us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to invite you all to stand if you're able to. some point Godwin will make it up to the stage. We're not really sure where he is at the moment. For God so loved the world to bear the weight of sin he bled for us from heaven's highest place. From heaven's highest place, he took the fall. There was just one line. Where is your sting? And there, there is your sting. 
So, Lord, in any grief and any disappointment and any things that our hearts are processing, Lord, we know that we can surrender it to you and step out in faith to hold on to that hope that you are, Jesus. So whatever this week brings us, Lord, we pray that you would remind us of the living hope that we have in you. We love your presence. We love you, Jesus. We pray all these things in your name. You guys, thanks for worshiping with us. Give you give yourself a round of applause for worshiping in the cold weather yet again. You'd think it'd be summer by now, but who knows? Bless everyone on the online crew. We thank you so much for joining us. Pray you encounter Jesus.